Hello and welcome. My name is Wesley Marshall and welcome to Lost in the Story. My guest today is known for his work in animation, anime, and video games. He's a nerd about town and you'll have heard him in Black Desert Online as Yorita Suzuki in Kengan Ashura, as CJ in Jenny LeClue Detective, and Jay Garrick in the animated history of The Flash. Please welcome Stuart Krug. Hi. Hi, Stuart. <laughs> so I have a question for you. Yeah. Uh, what to you makes a good story? So I was thinking about this last night um, after I had finished a series that I've been kind of going back through and rewatching on and off for the last year, because by modern standards, this is a very long show. Yeah. Um, but it was normal for its time. And that show was Deep Space Nine. Ah, still a show I need to watch. It's my favorite Star Trek show. And I'm, I'm, I'm on Next Generation right now, making my way through that. So, And that's, that's also a phenomenal show, and it's a classic. Uh, but Deep Space Nine, in many ways, breaks the formula in a way that works, which not every Star Trek property, in my opinion, has successfully been able to break the formula. But anyway, what makes a good story is... To me, a strong, diverse cast of characters, a expansive world, a plot that you have a hard time putting down, and the avenue for just more. So uh, I'm, I'm guessing someone's already talked about this already, but the example I'm going to set is uh, the universe of Avatar. It's been mentioned in both of the episodes I've recorded so far, by, <laughs> by either me or the guest. Well... Because Avatar checks off all of those criteria, mm -hmm. right? Strong, diverse cast of characters, a very um, intricate yet also expansive world, and the avenue for more stories to tell. You know, we're recording this what, two, three weeks after the creators left the Netflix adaptation, and my immediate response was, okay, let's leave the live-action show alone. Or, or let, let's leave the original alone. We don't need to remake it. We don't need to readapt it. But I do believe there is potential for live action work set in that world. And I have a couple ideas in, in some ways that actually work better for live action than they would in animation. Uh, especially because these particular uh, stories would not be as suitable for children. Like... I have a lot of questions after watching both uh, Last Airbender and Korra. First one, how did we get from a small, tight-knit group of badass old men spread across the globe to what is essentially this world's version of S.H.I.E.L.D.? 70 years. Right. <laughs> but, like, where did the White Lotus come from? These men are dispersed all across the world. How do they even know each other? in some cases. And so I, I think a great live action series would be uh, the origins of the white Lotus potentially told from a, one of the men that we don't know as well, like mm -hmm. say uh Sokka's master. If we told it from his perspective, another one is okay. So there was an article that came out shortly after the creators left and it's since been proven false, but it, claimed that these were the reasons why the creators left the show. And a lot of them were basically like, okay, you, you Netflix wants a game of Thrones, which my response was, first of all, you've got one. It's called the Witcher. Uh, 
And second, uh, if you want, that's much more darker material than... Have you considered the life and times of Avatar Kyoshi? <laughs> I want that animated. Oh, I want that animated. I, uh, with the, like, amount of, st of stuff that she did, like, I think you could do it on a live-action budget. But, like, if you were going to do animated and go towards that adult section, do, like, what they did for Castlevania, what they're doing for He-Man, that sort of level... Yeah, it's 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 interesting. So, so like, and this is the question I've asked. So, to you, is is story more important or is character more important to you? That depends on the structure mm -hmm. of the story. Uh, so, I'm going to cite another example. Uh, it is the King Kill the King Killer Chronicles by Patrick Rothfuss. Also brought up in an episode. Oh, good, good. <laughs> I'm so glad. You know, the structure of that particular story is we're intercutting between the sort of present day, as it were, where you have the older version of the protagonist telling his adventures through flashbacks. Mm -hmm. So arguably in a situation like that, I would say the character is more important. Consistency of both old and young Kavoth. And because, I mean, because we're very much viewing this through his eyes and we're sort of, hearing the story to get a better sense of him and what exactly why he's done what he's done and what led him to this particular point of sort of self-imposed exile. Mm -hmm. Whereas in something more like Harry Potter, I'd argue the story is more important mm. because let me put it this way. How many people who've read Harry Potter or watched Harry Potter can honestly say Harry is their favorite character? He's the point of view more than anything. He's the point of view. Yeah. But I understand the merits of Harry, and Harry's a great character, but I feel like for most people, he's not each particular person's favorite. Mm -hmm. Like, my favorite character is Remus Lupin. But I, I think in terms of what is more important, like plot versus character, it kind of depends upon the structure of the story. That's that's it's so interesting to me, because if you if you gave me a choice of what... I would rather have. I would rather have a good character because I can forgive a so-so story if I'm invested and care about that character. That's fair. Like I, I think I, you know, I think you should strive to to have a, a a balance. But like, if if you can't really explain your world so much, or you're hamstrung, or the world doesn't really matter, it's what that character's journey is. I feel you should always lean toward character as a to world mm. because like if the story is interesting but like i don't i don't care about anything that's going on in the world i you know i don't i don't have the the burning need to go and see it like this is like an extreme example but like um think of a movie like the expendables the only thing about that movie that's uh getting people in the theaters is the action and oh those are those guys that did that in the 80s not really right. gonna care. I'm sure there's a story within there, but I'm not. I'm, I'm sure you're not there because you care about those characters, right? But you look at you know Star Wars, wherever how heated it is, people deeply care about those characters. Sometimes to a detrimental degree, yeah. But it's the character that you you care about. Like people instantly connected to the Mandalorian right away. Yes, because. This is the thing. He he. They employed a, a writing thing, uh, which was save the cat, B 
because he saved the baby at the end, instantly people were like, oh, he's a good guy. I like him. Yep. And then you learn about his, you know, stuff as the story goes along. And it's just, it's, it's interesting. I don't, I don't think you're, you're incorrect in what you're saying. I, I think so far that I, I, so far it's been, people are like, oh yeah, character without a doubt. I, I think it depends on the structure of the story, especially in terms of like the points you're trying to get across. If there is a message to your story, what is the best vehicle through which to tell it? Is it the character or is it the plot itself? Yeah. So when it when it comes to the things that you tend to gravitate towards, what what are things in in writing like you you're, you were saying you were watching this this old show by our standards because it was the first show that really do an overarching story plot. I know that much about Deep Space Nine. What, yes. What about something from back then versus now brings you in do you do you need to go in knowing that there's going to be an arc or are you okay with if it's just like a throwaway episode like you know your monster of the weeks because i remember there are people like doctor who being an example where they're oh. like there's there's a ton of monster of the weeks but people started to get more invested in more modern who because there was an overarching plot i mean to me the best examples are uh mixtures of both like uh, one thing DS9 does really well is that, yes, we have this big over our, you know, this big sort of Dominion overarching or... plot, yes. But they give you episodic breaks of like, hey, we're in really heavy stuff right now, so let's just have the crew play baseball with some visiting Vulcans for an episode. <laughs> or, you know, hey, we're about to head into the like the big final battle of the war. Um, so let's do a fun little holodeck casino heist. Uh, I just finished I just finished watching it last night and the last season of, D of DS9 is a bunch of war stuff in the beginning and you know obviously a bunch of war stuff at the end because you've got to tie, tie up all those loose threads. But the middle, they knew how heavy the finale was going to be, I think in some regards. And they knew how heavy going into that season was, especially after uh, a very popular character dies without saying anything else. So they really made sure the middle was as light as possible. I think. Yeah. Um, just sort of give the audience a break and give them a, like, you know, yes, we know you're invested, but we also want to make sure you're having a good time outside of it. <laughs> so, so, for you, when you're when you're consuming a story, there needs to be at least an acknowledgement of the audience watching, knowing yes. that okay, we're about to give you some heavy shit. Let's have some catharsis. I think the perfect example of talking about this is like early DC EU, which was heavy, one joke maybe in the movie, and then you jump forward to Aquaman. Shazam. <laughs> I was going to say Aquaman. Aquaman was oh, the okay. first time I walked out of this, you know, movie is not perfect, but it was the first DC live action movie in the modern age that I walked out of and went like, Oh, they know how to do a lighter tone. Look at, there was colors in this movie and jokes. <laughs> yes. They made jokes as opposed to, no, this is deathly serious, which was that movie was over the top silly, which I was like, okay, I expected this, and I had a good time watching it. I, it wasn't like me leaving Justice... Here's the difference. Me leaving Justice League, uh, the Whedon cut, was me going, that was a movie, and then me leaving 
uh, Aquaman was like, I, I was entertained. I had a good time. I've seen worse movies than this. Uh, granted, I never saw Batman versus Superman, and I never really? saw I never saw Justice League. How, uh, let me put it this way: the best way to sum up my experience with Aquaman is to quote my favorite ad for Aquaman, which was and and it, I very much feel like this was sort of the vibe behind this movie of you don't care what this movie is about. Here's a wet Jason Momoa. He was the he 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 and um. Oh my God, I'm gonna blank on his name. Uh, Tamar uh, Morrison, Tamar Morrison, oh. Yahya Abdul. Uh, although they underutilize Yahya in that movie, um, but I, I just the silly stuff with Orm. Like I understood that this wasn't going to be a good movie, but I went in with the expectation of I'm going to watch this movie that looks really bright and colorful and have a good time with it, and I did. I, I didn't feel let down comparably to the other DC movies I saw. Now. Wonder Woman and Shazam are the two movies in the DC canon where I'm like, oh, they, they're getting it. Shazam being the first one where I was like, this one was a very solid movie to me. You know, some some balance issues here and there, but they, they picked a tone and they stuck with it. And it was consistent in terms of character for me. Some, you know, plot things here and there, but overall it was a, it was a fun and good movie to me. And now I, I feel now they're finally understanding like the whole the whole thing that they they finally leaned into uh at the fandom thing that happened was uh Jim Lee and Kevin Suzahara, I think his name is. I might be wrong. He's the other person who's in charge of films there, said mm. that we are very much leaning in to multiverse and telling our stories. They they confirmed that how Ezra Miller Flash got his name was from meeting Barry Allen Flash, and he goes, you're the Flash. He goes, what's the Flash? And he says, in our movie, when we see him next, that's where he says he's going to get his name from. They're basically saying, we understand that the audience isn't stupid, and they can tell the difference between a Michael Keaton Batman and a Ben Affleck and a, and a Robert Pattinson, yeah. uh, which is the thing I've been saying for years. Like people, people will understand that there are different actors playing these roles. There's maybe one or two people will be like, I don't get it, when it's very simple to, to figure it out. Just cursory search. Yes, that's a very easy thing for DC to lean into. Yeah, um, it's this what they do really well in comics. Mm -hmm. What have you been seeing in in media in terms of of writing uh, and story and all that stuff that's made you happy in terms of steps forward? What's made me happy in terms of steps forward? Well, first of all, inclusion, and I would say definitely within like the last decade, letting the adaptations be a little bit more loose. And letting, you know, letting the spirit of the story be the drive. Mm -hmm. Like, I'll, I'll go ahead and say it right now. I want an all POC Fantastic Four. That seems to be, I think the only people, I think people's only reticence besides stupidity is they were like, but you saw what happened last time they tried to do that. Well, that wasn't an all POC Fantastic Four. I, I know, but like people got like, guy. I... I have a feeling, you know, and it's I, I still think it's the it's the issue uh, is that the studio saw that that wasn't successful and they're like, OK, I'd be interested because, you know, you, you know, the 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 heavy leaning fan casting right now for Fantastic Four is it's the John Krasinski and Emily Blunt, which mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't be opposed to. Like, mm -hmm. the, 
I'm sure they'd be fine. And I don't, and I, again, I'm I don't sure have an issue. Really I don't have an issue with them doing it. It's just, it'd be interested. I'd be interesting to see how they're going to, how they're going to spin it and uh, have it. Uh, it Cause it's always how you present these things to people. And it shouldn't, you know, one, it shouldn't matter. It should be like, oh, Fantastic Four. They happen to be black. But what what's interesting to me is where you place them because that's the uh, conversation everyone's having is, do you have them uh, have existed already or are they from, you know, the past? If you put them in the past and they're black, you have some socio political things you can talk about and even now. And then similarly... You put them in the present, and they're also very topical. It's what what side of the coin do we want to talk about? Because you know, everyone says Reed needs to be an older person, Sue about the same, Johnny young, and then Ben about Reed's age. Um, I don't I don't want young again. I I would prefer seasoned at least. The one actor that I would really like to see at least take a crack at Reed. Mm -hmm. I'd like I'd love to at least see his audition, even if he doesn't get it. Uh, William Harper Jackson. Have you watched The Good Place? I have watched six episodes. Is he? Um... He's cheaty. Cheaty. Yeah, I can see that. Because Reed is so much. Reed in a lot of cases is that like, oh, I'm sorry, dinner was half an hour ago. Sorry, I was busy solving uh, ten thousand things at once. Mm -hmm. To yeah. which, if they're too, you know, if if maybe they're too timid or you know. If they decide not to go the all POC route for Fantastic Four, then I mean your Sue would be very easy then. Kristen Bell. Yeah, I I don't I don't have a, a thing against it. I'm just I think what I'm thinking of is like, are, are they going to do it? I have a feeling they won't. I would like to see an all POC Fantastic Four, but I'm not expecting it. Do you know what I want? Do you know what I want to see would be interesting mm. is to have because uh, this would make a lot of lot more sense now in retrospect is have Xavier and Magneto be black. And Jean-Carl Esposito in particular. I, I actually see him as Kang. I think you make a great Kang. Ooh. Wesley from the present here. Uh, when we were recording this, this was before Jonathan Majors was announced or heavily rumored to be playing Kang. So this could still be fun. He could be a Mortis or an older version of Kang. Back to the podcast. Is, I, can I, would, I wouldn't see the be mad about him. it. But like, or Nathaniel Richards. Yeah. He, because, you know, the, the, the thing they say that Stanley based Charles and Eric on Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. He said those are the inspirations for those characters. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it would make sense if you cast, you know, I think before he was already, I mean, well, technically... He's not appeared physically, and I don't know what their rule is because he's technically in both worlds. But I think um, uh, Jeffrey Wright would make a good Charles, and, and then, then Giancarlo I, was Eric. He could be Eric. I think X Men, as much as it's on the nose, I think X Men is probably the m best place to do that. In terms of that, that those stories are driven by adversity because of who you are. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that Fantastic Four isn't, but I think if Marvel is making their choice about where they're going to make a major, ch I say major, make a change from what it used to be uh, to a more modern sensibility, I think X-Men would be the place to go because we've had the same X-Men stories in movies 
for 20 years yeah. and it would make a lot of sense to do that and fantastic four has been their worst performing in terms of movie yeah i don't disagree i i think i think either could work i think financially and story-wise x-men makes the most sense I will say this, either way. Either way what happens. Same, I agree. I have I have my top choice for Doctor Doom. Who? Javier Bardem. I've I've heard that as well. I've heard Javier Bardem. They they were they were saying other people that I, I was following something else where there people were casting him. Javier Bardem makes a lot of sense to me. So then on the flip side of talking about things we've been enjoying, what are things you're seeing still aren't being fixed or are in immediate need of fixing what am i seeing that's immediate immediate like when you watch when you watch media or you hear about how things are written you know you always hear you always hear the the scuttle but like behind the scenes um like uh, to give an example and i mean i don't know no one said anything so far but there was this whole thing that happened recently have you been watching lovecraft country uh, I was just given access to HBO Max the other day, so I haven't had the chance to watch it yet. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna spoil a thing, but there is a trans non-binary character that shows up in the fourth episode. Um, okay. And the character shows up, and even the main character says they go by she or they, uh, you know. And this is in the fifties, and they show the person, and there's a handful of rules in terms of when you're especially when we're trying to represent and normalize uh, non-binary and trans people where like, you know, there's a big fixation on genitals. And so there is a about 10 second shot where they pan over and the character is completely naked and you see genitals Uh, and they they sort of hold on that. And then one of the other characters and it's the 50s. So I understand maybe from that story point of view where they're like, where the person is, what is it? Calls it a knit. And then, you meet this character for about 10 minutes and it's a very interesting character. Uh, I think, I think if I'm remembering it also native American. So I think they were doing like the two spirit thing, which is uh, the non so, sort of what non-binary uh, representation that shows up in native American culture. And, okay. and we're like, Oh, this person is going to have this big connection to this story plot that's going on ancient gods, yada, yada. And they, they take them home and the main character uh, says to his says to his father, "Okay, I need to get back and help this other character, you know, take care of them." And he's like, "Okay." And then we we cut to him walking into the room, and like he's putting his hand on on their shoulder and says, "I'm sorry, but they can't know." And slits their throat, kills the character, kills the non-binary character within ten minutes of them within being on screen, uh, and, and breaking all those faux pas, and so. I, I'm I'm following a book. Cl- I'm reading the book as well, and following a book, um, the book club on that they're doing on Nerdist, and they were talking about this, and I was like, I was like, have the writer said anything? And I went to look at you know the writers and you know producers, just Jordan Peele and Misha Green, and JJ um, Abrams producing as well, and I was like, they haven't said anything. So it's, it's one of two things. It's either they, because everything else they've been doing in terms of telling stories of marginalized people has been very good, like very good you know it's the pedigree of people working on that show and so i'm like okay are they going to address this like 
is the next episode going to explain this? Because either way, it's it's bad. They I feel they need to say something. So there, you know, there's steps forwards and steps back. Like that's an example where it's a show that has so far been pretty good and on message and like harrowing and and interesting. And then like they were saying, like the first forty minutes of the show were really good, and then the ending sort of derailed them. And so I'm just like. Have you seen things like that where you're like, ah, oh, ooh, what are you doing? Um, that need to be fixed and are easily fixed, but no one's doing anything about it. Or even once that, you know, it, it's just going to take a lot of restructuring in Hollywood in general, even if it's big things. So one thing in which DS9 is very much a product of its time is a lot of general generalization within fictional races Mm. Uh, definitely saw that in a uh, next generation <laughs> in, oh, in next generation uh, in DS nine and a lot of racial stereotypes granted. I'm, I'm guessing that their uh, justification would be, well, these races are fictional, but it also still like that's, that's still not okay. <laughs> it's, 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 it's the whole uh, uh, orc thing. And Dungeons and Dragons, of course, is uh, starting to take steps to sort of eliminate the idea of evil races. But, you know, yeah, 90s Star Trek very much followed a sort of generalization, racial stereotype formula for a lot of their, you know, fictional races. Like, you know, all Ferengi are greedy and all Klingons are bloodthirsty and stuff like that. And one thing that Star Trek going forward is going to have to do is try to remove that and maybe, you know, or... Find a way to contextualize it. Find a way to contextualize it. Um, and, and DS9 did get better about that over the years. You know, you know the, the greed of the Ferengi comes from just the, the culture of Ferengi. You know, everything is paid through bribery uh, in Ferengi culture. You know, uh, their, their sort of constitution is called the rules of acquisition which are basically just business laws. The police are called the Ferengi Commerce Authority. And, and DS9 did help with that because we didn't have a lot of that foreknowledge of these particular races in, for example, Next Generation or even the original series. Mm -hmm. um, but one thing that a lot of stories in particular are going to have to get better at is if a race as a community acts a certain way, you know, provide some of that context and show us how diverse they can be even with this sort of cultural structure and historical structure in place, if that makes sense. Yeah. And one thing that Star Trek I have noticed is getting better at is inclusion of gender. Uh, they just announced yeah. the other day that uh, the first non-binary and trans cast members will be joining Discovery. Um, but even in Star Trek... Uh, the the current comic the, that adapts the fifth year of the uh, original series crew. Um, there's a great scene where one of the aliens uh, talking to Sulu, and I forget the name of their species, but um, they're super confused in this conversation with Sulu because it's, why do you let your gender define you? Why is that a defining factor for you? Mm -hmm. And that very different approach uh, to what how does a person identify themselves? Because this culture does not identify themselves by their gender. No. It's it's interesting. 
because I've just been you and I very much live on 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 internet and and TV and movies in terms of uh, of the stuff we consume. And you know, my first introduction to what non-binary was was through a a role playing game. Uh, there's a person a personality online. Uh, their name is uh, Sam Delev, and it was on a Doctor Who um, tabletop RPG. And I learned about that. And then they were also uh, they also did a Star Trek um, show, and they're in their second iteration of that right now. But that was that was the first time that appeared in a Star Trek context. And it's I, I'm sort of seeing stuff that I'm, I'm I've I've seen a lot more in like rpgs online i'm starting to also see permeate i don't know if it's you know at all related but it, it's interesting to see like i will see a representation of a thing i don't normally see on a role-playing show you know three years before i end up seeing it on tv like have you this is, I, i've always been this one up because it's it's the best i have seen in kids media have you watched Shira? Not yet. It is, it is on my list. Very good. And it is the best buildup of a relationship that I have ever seen in a TV show in terms of not giving too much, not giving too little, and the payoff uh, being very good. Like, and LGBT themes abound in that show. Um, very normalized. There's a, There are characters, they very blatantly say our 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 wives and not a thing and they introduce the first non-binary character into a uh car- into a cartoon show played by a non-binary actor Amazing. um and we we're also talking about like you know shows having to sort of pave the way for that and you know as much as people have gripes and some understandable about uh Cora uh in terms of how they started that relationship because it felt like it was out of nowhere in some cases because like it was between seasons and people felt like they should have like I understand people's uh, reticence of like this seems like I'm fine they're like I'm fine with this but this seems like between seasons three and four I wish I could have seen that relationship build which I understand because people don't see that and it's supposed to and then and then what sucks more is I feel also they were probably also hamstrung by Nickelodeon because they couldn't even show them like kissing at the end of the season. Uh, a, a story I once heard was that uh, Nickelodeon uh, initially did not approve the holding hands, but they snuck it in anyway. Yeah. As a, as a fuck you. As a, as a, what are you going to do? Fire us. It's our last episode. Yeah. I just, um, I just, I, but, but my point being of that is it was, the first stepping stone yes and then you had shows like that and then you know another example and uh pelton mortis said adventure time bubblegum and marceline uh mm-hmm. when the actress who plays marceline uh said because uh her and her dad who also plays her father in the show were writing mm-hmm. the the real life version of the enchiridion to sell as a, a book and in an interview she said like i asked pendleton so it's like they're they were a couple right and he goes yeah he goes can i talk about that sort of in this book and he's like if it was me yes i would love that but cartoon network is not letting us and the re- that's the reason like it's so heavily hinted and some people also similarly felt like that kiss at the end was like oh now 
it, but again, stepping stones show. I think Adventure Time being one of the first ones, Korra sort of showing it overtly, and then you know, Adventure Time ended you know many years later. Uh, Steven Universe and then Shira. I feel the last ten years in animation has been the has been the biggest push, and I think it's important to media as a whole, not just animate, not just uh, animation, but live action and everything else, because if your kids grow up watching something and they see it as normalized, then when they, if they grow up to work in that entertainment industry, they'll be like, oh, yeah, normal character, put them in, shouldn't be a big issue. And right now you're seeing a lot of attention focused on it because, lo and behold, they've never seen this before, right? And I think, I think we're sort of on a good path. There's still a lot of things that worry me there, you know, I could I could point to comic books being a good example, uh, in terms of uh, lots of good representation, but also in terms of the people behind the comics, especially in the especially this year. I know where this is going. It's just it it's like you know you you have all these people you like. Here's a perfect example of a show that I've I have now like I want to finish because I really liked it, but then it's written by a garbage man named Warren Ellis. So, okay. So the other day I was looking for a new show to watch and I did not know at the time that Castlevania was written by Warren Ellis. It's a so good, I, it's a good fucking show. It, it's an amazing fucking show. It's well uh, made and well written and it doesn't really touch any of the bullshit that he's done. But the fact that he's connected to it just taints it for me well and i watched the first like 10 minutes of the first episode and i'm like yeah okay this is a strong start and i get through the credit sequence you know <laughs> created by warren ellis fuck <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and it off. it's 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 that it's that age-old question because you know separating the art from the artist there there is a there is an argument to be made that you can still watch castlevania and not support him because ultimately in that case you're not you're already subscribed to Netflix. If he was getting any money from you, he's still getting money from you. But like you, I think the way, the way that you, you show that is you don't support him. Like I was up until that point, I was, he was putting out a Batman comic that was very good. I, as soon as that came out, nope. Nope. I, I don't want to give him money. Uh, and I, I and bought he, it by accident, like the day after. Yeah. Um, and I had just kind of forgotten. And I realized 40, like 40 feet away from the store, as soon as I walk in, I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> um, it, it, it's that I feel that's a, a it's a big and nuanced debate because it's the question of can can you look past that and still because I think it's also the Harry Potter thing. People have said, like, you know, I don't want to support her anymore, but I, I can't deny that. It affected me. It, it they were good things that affected me about those stories. I'm I, I will I'm never going to forget how they made me feel. You can't take that away. Uh, and you know, people have said at this point she should just give it up and let other people do it. You know, that's one thing because you know also cartoons and things like that aren't just one person. True. I have a rule when it comes to finding out that a creator I had had admired turns out to be a garbage person. And that is if I ever spent money on, you know, their work, I try to get as much of it back as I can in some regard. So I have a pile of 
Ellis's books that I'm trying to sell to a used bookstore. Um, but, you know, they, it very much fluctuates as to when they're willing to accept new books right now because pandemic. But I realized when we learned that, oh, J.K. Rowling is very transphobic. I was like, okay, do I need to sell my Harry Potter books? No, I don't because I got them all at Goodwills. So. And, and even then, I wouldn't get rid of them because here's here's the thing. She wrote those stories, and I still I still have a, a, a emotional attachment to them. I'm not spending anything on Harry Potter. Agreed. But if I already have them and they have and and they provided me with happiness, I don't see a reason to get rid of them. I just don't also see a reason to support. But like you know, people will make that decision on their own. And I think I don't. I think the thing that I think about is like if. If I were to tell someone, oh, I really like this book, and then they're like, oh, it's by this piece of shit, I would then immediately always feel bad for reading it. I, mm. I don't I, – I think that's a, a – it's a it's a tricky line to, to straddle. And some people can separate the art from the artist, um, and some people can't. It's also this more frequently holding creators accountable for their terrible actions. Yes feels more recent, yes, uh, to say the least. Mm. So in many ways, in terms of how these people are being held accountable for their actions, what the response is, and rather, uh, I guess the rules, it's, it's still a kind of a, you know, it's, it's still a very much a new system mm-hmm. of, okay, we've learned this person is terrible. What can we do? Well, what can we do? how do we hold this person accountable uh what actions do we take to show this person that this is not okay and then how does this person respond or rather how do they try attempt at least attempt to redeem themselves mm-hmm. and then eventually down the line do we forgive this person can we forgive this person mm-hmm. it's such a new system that we haven't in in, in many ways or at least that I have seen, it's it's it still seems recent in memory. The of... thing that the thing that I see a lot though is like so we talk about apologies, right? And every one of those people have put out apologies. Warren Ellis put out an apology. Uh, but the thing that I see coming back from people who uh, put the accusation accusations forward or people in the comments were like, "Okay, but you didn't apologize for that thing specifically." You you made a blanket statement. You you weren't you didn't apologize to this person. They they're sometimes not specific enough, or it 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 sounds hollow. The only example I can think of in modern time of a person that everyone very much likes that I have heard a number of people say, including the person who accused that this person really is making up for what they did, and they've sort of been apologized by the public at large is Dan Harmon. Hmm. There was that big thing that happened with a former intern, I believe, and he did this uh, very big apology, and he explained everything, and and like I've heard other people cite that as examples. Like that, in terms of an apology, that is an apology. A lot of people tend to just, you know, deflect, uh, deflect, and say, you know, I wasn't aware, I didn't know. Uh, it didn't right. seem that way to me as opposed to going, okay, I was accused of this thing. I must have done something wrong. Let me reexamine what it is I did. 
let me take a good hard long look from maybe that person's perspective because it was it's because it's one of two things either they weren't actually aware that they did that or what they were doing was wrong because they just didn't see it that way or they are aware but they're trying like hell to be like ah uh, no what i've been working wow. for a long time you guys like me right i mean you know people at home remember if you do a bad thing and you're not aware you did a bad thing and someone tells you you did a bad thing, you know, look, look into it. Think for a second that they might be right about this. Be willing to admit your own mistakes. That's a good point. Okay. Be willing to own up to your own false doings and take the necessary action to make up for what you have done and yes. make things right. Yes. So to wrap up, uh, is there anything you want to plug? Is there anything coming up? Anything you want to direct people towards? Oh, um, well, if you want to follow me on the social media, uh, the main one, the one I use the most is Twitter. It is at Stuart Krug VO. I will say keep an eye on a Twitch network called Fabled 42 for reasons that I will disclose at a later date. All right, guys. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. This has been Lost in the Story with your host, Wesley Marshall. Music composed by Chase Bathia, who you can follow on Twitter and TikTok at Chase Bathia and on Instagram at GamerComposer. His website is ChaseBathia.com. Cover art for this podcast provided by Marcy Edwards, who you can follow on social media on Twitter and Instagram at Mary Hellscream. Thank you for listening. See you next time.